All right, guys, and welcome into the Flag Hunting Podcast. And it's a very special week as it is officially Masters Week. Um, so none other to join us. It's a major. It's major season. Therefore, Derek Yoder is here to join us. Our major correspondent hit us up for every major last year, was a key part of the show. And lo and behold, he's back to join us this year. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know him, which I'm sure everybody does, but if you don't, um, he is the host of the NASCAR Betting Preview Show on Wednesday nights on Twitter, on Twitter Spaces. Um, he's also the host with Brian Murphy for the All Things Go podcast. Um, so yeah, pretty much hitting it all, right? Uh, does it all in, in the NASCAR world. He does it, uh, the truck, se- truck Series show now with Phil on Fridays in NASCAR Betting Show. So a lot of NASCAR content, but hey, when it comes to golf, he knows his stuff too. So Derek, we're glad to have you join us tonight. Gentlemen. The azaleas are blooming, the piped-in bird sounds are chirping, the legends of a tiger, a bear, and an army come to life here, the warm, crisp air, palmetto cheese sandwiches, and roars of the gallery that never have been seen before. This is the Masters. Wow, a regular Jim Nance. Look at that. He, he had the <laughs> air to <laughs> He's taking over CBS, CBS man. I had to write that in. I had to write that real quick. I was thinking about it when I was putting my daughter to sleep. I was like, I got to come up with something like that. So I'm pumped up. I'm ready to go for the Masters. I'm telling you, probably that was perfect too, right? Because Jim Nance just gave his final closing for the March Madness last night, and now, now you're you're applying for his job. Basically, look, you just you just did your rendition. (laughs) I'm auditioning. So Jim, if you're out there listening to the Flag Hunting Pod, Derek Yoder at Derek Yoder underscore on Twitter, (laughs) find me there. And uh, I'll help take over your job. No, boys, I'm, right. I'm grateful to be here. Thanks for having me. Very excited. I've been listening to Masters content all week as I'm going to bed and throughout the day. So I'm very excited. Heck yeah. I mean, this is uh, this is where it all kind of started for, I mean, our, this is the first time I actually got to meet you, even if it was over computer. But, um, you know, I remember this time last year we were, um, you know, much smaller entities than both, uh, you know, flag hunting and, and your show have been. Mm-hmm. So it's been awesome to see, you know, the growth that you've uh, both received and promoted throughout the industry. We're certainly a part of that. Uh, so we owe a lot of that mm-hmm. uh, to what you've done for, for the entire community. So um, yeah, man, he's uh, he's back. He's got the, uh, the full setup. We were joking about him, er- joking with him earlier uh, last year. He was in, I believe is his shed or his garage. Um, yep. Garage. <laughs> trying yep. Trying to come through to us. So a lot more professional setup for Derek now, not as professional, same old flag hunting, but uh, mm-hmm. we're going we're gonna to talk masters all the same. So um, I did want to start real quick because obviously Derek's been on the show. You guys know Derek um, from multiple different avenues, if, uh, if not just from our show. So I kind of want to get his thoughts because he's mainly a NASCAR guy. Him and Chris can be talking a little about Brist- a little Bristol dirt uh, later this evening, but I did kind of want to get his background. Uh, I know he's a really good golfer. He came he came to North Carolina last uh, spring and and whooped up on me and Chris. So uh, we know he's he's certified in that angle. But as a golf fan, you know, watching the PGA Tour, I know NASCAR and the PGA kind of um, with all your obligations for um, in the world of motorsport. You know, it would be tough to kind of pay as much attention to the PGA Tour as someone like I do. But mm-hmm. you know, in the opening three months of 2023, when you've gotten a chance to to watch a little golf, what have you noticed? Is there something that that maybe you've taken in that uh, you're applying this week in particular or someone that you really that's really caught your eye um here as we head into the first major of the season yeah well i mean in january you know before nascar starts i'm able to catch uh, a lot of the like the hawaiian tour if you will when they're out yeah. there playing in the west, west coast swing the one thing i've noticed is you know 
runs, right? So like John Rahm was hot for a little while. Scotty Scheffler, you know, yeah. obviously is defending champion of the Masters, number one in the world for a good reason. Um, it's been interesting to watch him uh, perform. It was fun watching when NASCAR was at Coda and the uh, you know, the tour was doing the the Dell match play over yeah. in Austin. So that was fun uh, to watch that and be able to check out a lot more action for that than whenever the race would start at about 3.30 or so. That's when I kind of flip it over and, and get into that gear. So it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun watching the tour. Obviously, the players was just recently. It, it's This is an exciting time. This is where it really feels like, okay, everybody's starting to hit their stride. Um, obviously, coming in the Masters, guys are either playing last week or they're already preparing to be in this event. So now feels like that long stretch until we get through uh, August and um, through the tour championship. So uh, yeah. no, as uh, I haven't done a ton of betting uh, with, with golf because my focus is solely on NASCAR, but uh, I spent a, spent a good unit uh, bit of unit allocation on the uh, players. Uh, I know you had a good time at the players. Uh, so did Skybox. So, that those those types of events I really enjoy. I really kind of start diving into wanting to understand. I feel like there's a betting opportunity, more of an edge for me uh, yep. in some of those markets because you get a lot of names that are a little newer coming up, and then they get paired in a head to head. As you know, I like those head to heads and uh, with a veteran player. So yeah, it, they're fun markets to attack. But I think the game is at a really good spot this weekend with a number of the live guys coming in. I think it's really good. It's putting golf through a lot of different conversations and i think it's all really good for the game of golf as a whole yeah that that's that's great to hear because for someone like me who kind of lives in the echo chamber and i keep track of the sanderson farms i'm sitting there on saturdays in october sweating bets um from yep. jackson mississippi so um yeah this is for sure like this is probably for a casual golf fan or someone that maybe that has been watching football all winter or is coming through mm -hmm. they just got obviously march madness got just got finished so People are looking for something to come into, and now we have a stretch, like you said, four straight months with yeah. four straight major championships starting here at Augusta. Uh, so for the casual fan, I mean, this is probably their first experience to golf, and um, mm -hmm. if you are heading on playing, whether it's fantasy sports or betting, having that a little, having a little bit of you know extra knowledge um, built up for the first three months will, will certainly aid you um, into this week. Into this week, particularly mm -hmm. particularly with the, with the history we've seen at Augusta, because um, although it. it it hasn't felt like we've been playing golf for that long in 2023. And only it, we've only been playing for three months, obviously, but um, you'll, you'll notice a lot of trends have tended to lean towards guys that have started the year hot um, and are, you know, and have been able to carry that uh, momentum in, into Augusta national. And, you know, the last two, the, the two guys in the final group last year, right? Scotty Scheffler and Cam Smith, the two hottest players on the planet uh, heading mm -hmm. into that masters. A lot of people kind of wrote them off in favor of some, you know, more, brand name players that you know um people figured would rise to the occasion of augusta no it just mm -hmm. kind of in the two obvious guys that had just won the players and the number one player in the world um kind of coming through down the stretch there so all right yeah plenty to talk about with the names and everything and i do want to ask derek one more question before we get into our like the traditional oh, yeah. breakdown um so augusta national it's the most well it's it's the best known golf course in the world. Even if you're not a particularly big golf fan, like you kind of know what you're getting into this week. Like you've at least, yep. you know, seen some flyovers, you've seen enough masters coverage through the years where um, you have a pretty good idea, like at least the visuals of Augusta national. Mm -hmm. But when you're approaching this from like a betting standpoint, or you're trying to pick, pick her, who's going to win or play fantasy sports or whatnot, whether it's an office pool or a little DFS buy-in, mm -hmm. 
what are some primary tools you're looking for? Like, you know, on just the external, um, just off the cuff, like yeah. if you're building a player for the masters, like what do you, what do you as a more casual golf fan think is, is maybe the most important thing? Yeah, well, I think uh, listening to the flag hunting pod, first and foremost, uh, getting ready for master's preview is one. After that, I, I tend to use some of the tools that I use even for the NASCAR side. Um, you know, <clears throat> CBS Sports Network is a really good tool this week where they have a lot of the practice. Um, they're showing a lot of different elements. There's people on the range, the practice green. You really get a good sense of what the players are doing, what they're saying. That listening element is so key. Uh, I know it, not everybody can necessarily watch, you know, throughout the course of a day on a Tuesday or Wednesday morning, afternoon. However, some of those things that maybe aren't said across Twitter, but you can see them visually or hear them in an interview. That's really key. Um, yeah. I think some of the other things, you know, let's just say from a casual better, like you said, somebody coming in football season's done obviously the ncaa is done and they're just looking to casually get in because there's no other major events uh, i know nascar's on sunday seven o'clock on e at easter but master's going to be taking over a lot of the headlines this week well <clears throat> you're going to hear a lot of guys like tiger um phil and these are a lot of key names however what are their trends coming in? We know Tiger had, you know, he's kind of coming back, but at a place like Augusta, it's almost like a second home to him. So any ailments or anything that he's coming in, he's going to do well. So look at the weather. That's a that's a major topic. I'm sure we're going to talk about it at some point. Major uh, point there. Uh, injuries coming in. I know Terrell Hatton had an injury last week, wrist. I know Fitzpatrick has an injury currently that there's some – in Hideki as well. So like there are some elements where similar to injuries you see in other sports where take those factors in because those could be good opportunities, whether it's DFS or you're betting and you want to get an opportunity against them. Uh, that would be really good because there's some big names. Like you said, Hideki's a past champion here. Fitzpatrick just won the U S open uh, defending champion of that in 2022. So, um, some of those other elements, then, you know, we're going to hear about the 13th hole and the, the length that they extended that, um, which is a phenomenal hole, the par five. But there are guys they are saying, like Dustin Johnson was saying about how I can't get there in two. And just D Dustin's a very long hitter. So if he can't get there in two, well, then it kind of is going to go to who can putt, chip, obviously do that so well. But that really plays into some of those shorter players' hands. So uh, what I like to do is I like to see, you know, Short game, that's a big thing for me. Uh, you don't necessarily need all the long hitters like you do some of the other weeks where there's minus 15, 17. This could be a minus three weekend, or this could be a minus nine weekend. So it's really going to be tight. So those are just some of the things that I like to list, to look for and then apply. Um, but again, it's just doing those small things. They really pay off. For sure. Yeah, I can, I can tell you've definitely done some research, I guess, uh, the fact that there's not quite any NASCAR coverage yet for Bristol Dirt has, has aided you in your appearance here because, yeah, you're, you're, a lot of the talking points that are happening on Golf Central or on podcasts are exactly what Derek just brought up. Yeah, uh, I will mention the weather. Um, the change to 13, I think, is interesting. I think it, it is probably one of the few instances kind of remaining now where guys have to shape the ball at the tee, which is not something that we've typically been used to at Augusta where, um, you know – through time, it's tended to be a bit of a shot savers golf course, but I've got some quotes here um, that might uh, derail that general chain of thoughts. Uh, but 13 is for sure one of the one of the holes now, lengthened by 35 yards to 545, uh, and it's a hole where if you're taking driver, 
um, or and you're hoping to reach him too. Like you kind of have to hit that big draw around the tree line. Whereas I feel like a lot of guys in the past years, at least the last couple of years, when it was playing five ten, five twenty, could hit three wood to the corner and still get five six iron into the green. Uh, whereas now, you know, if you if you lay back at all, you're basically just conceding that you're going to lay up and then hit a wedge onto the green. So um, those changes to the golf course, plus what Derek mentioned with the course conditions, the fact that we might see like sustained rain from Thursday night to Saturday evening. Um, that's going to certainly affect the, um, the playability of the course, what matters this week uh, in terms of stats. So yeah, just keeping on top of that kind of stuff is, um, is good. But yeah, Derek outlined a lot. Yeah. Short game um, that I'll talk about um, here on my course breakdown. So I just want to kind of give Derek's maybe service level viewpoint of kind of what he's looking at uh, before I dive into kind of what I found in my, uh, preliminary research here, but I don't want to kind of go too deep into it or, or, you know, treat this like an introduction to a golf course because it's Augusta national. We all kind of know the specs. We know the profile of the place looking at a 7,545 yard, uh, 77,545 yard par 72. It does play about, like I said, 35 yards longer than it played last year. Most of that is to do with the length of the par five thirteenth hole, uh, from five ten to 545 yards. Um, now played back into the shoot behind the 12th green as opposed to kind of right uh, right alongside it. Uh, in, term, in terms of the agronomy, we have tightly mown ryegrass, fairways and rough, lightning fast bent grass greens. Uh, Augusta played shockingly as the third most difficult course on tour last year, um, which I don't know, growing up, I didn't really ever consider Augusta as like on the same caliber as like a U.S. Open venue, like a Torrey Pines um, or even like a Bay Hill. I always felt like Augusta, while certainly difficult and certainly – was capable of producing uh, some high scoring winners. It was never really like one of the most daunting tests on tour. And it has certainly become that as they let in this place. And um, as it feels like the club has, has emphasized protecting par a little bit more in the, in the past few years. I mean, last year, Scotty Scheffler played about as well as you could possibly play around Augusta for three and a half days and won at 10 under par uh, beat Rory Macro by three, despite four putting on the final green Hideki the year before that also won at 10 under par. Uh, DJ in a weird fall masters in 2020 got to 20 under par. That was kind of the, the outlier. I would say Tiger Woods, obviously 2019 won at 13 under Patrick Reed, 15 under Sergio Garcia, nine Danny will at five uh, Jordan Spieth lapped the field in 2015, got to 18 under. And then you have Bubba, Adam Scott and Bubba again from 2012 to 2014, all at eight and nine under par. Uh, so yeah, throughout time, it's, it's kind of been that eight to 13 under uh, threshold that I think under normal master's conditions, like with clear skies, when Augusta has full control over how this course is going to play, um, I think that's the winning score you would expect. But I think, like I said, the rain is going to play a pretty key factor, I feel like, in, in handicapping and when you're trying to assess what players you're looking for and what's really going to matter at the end of the day. Um, so what makes Augusta so difficult? Um, we'll start with approach play. Uh, Augusta is often labeled as a second shot golf course. It is one of the most difficult iron test players will face all year long. Um, it not only heavily emphasizes middle long iron play. Um, there's really not a ton of wedge chances and maybe the third hole um, is a short par three where you can lay up with an iron and then hit a wedge in. Uh, and then outside of that, it's really the par fives. So if you're hitting a third shot from a, um, after laying up, that's really the only other wedge chance you're going to have. Um, so there's a lot of middle, middle to long irons in these greens and the shelves that these holes are cut on are so small that they're going to effectively play as some of the smallest greens on tour, even though from a square footage standpoint, it's around about middle of the pack. Um, 
you know, if you're missing your target around Augusta by just a few yards, um, you know, the ball's going to run further and further away from the hole. I guarantee you're going to see plenty of instances this, this week where players are in the fairway, hit an iron shot about how they want to. They're posing on it. They're club twirling, whatever it may be. It misses a spot by two or three yards, and all of a sudden, you know, it's rolling 60 feet from the pan, and you're fighting for par. So it, it's just under normal circumstances, Augusta greens are just absolutely brutal. Over the last two years especially, I believe at the start of 2021 before the rain delay and then all last year, um, they're about those green complexes are about as hard as I've ever seen Augusta. So especially with a bit of wind in there, um, yeah, it can get away from you pretty quickly if you're not absolutely on point with your iron play um, in your short game. So um, I will say, though, if we're talking about the weather, if, if the conditions hold and we get a bit of a waterlogged Augusta, um, you know, that could certainly aid players in their fight this week, uh, especially with their second shots is obviously as, as green complexes get a bit wetter, retain a bit more moisture, they get a bit more receptive and these guys will be able to stick and hold iron shots with six and seven irons where, you know, if, if a seven iron wasn't hit right on the button last year, like that shot was not holding the green, it was bounding over and all of a sudden you're chipping for par. So, I mean, if you look at the last three masters we saw in 2021, it played super difficult to start. Um, really from Thursday until Saturday afternoon, we got the famous rain delay, um, kind of 40, but yeah, like a 40 minute rain delay, like right in the middle of Saturday coverage, Hideki came out of the rain delay, greens were soft. He took dead aim and he made, I think five birdies and like six holes to wrap up Saturday, kind of built his, uh, his, his lead that ultimately held on Sunday and was able to win. Uh, also, you know, DJ in 2020, when, that was by far the lowest scoring matches we've probably ever seen. DJ won at 20 under par. We saw Sung Jay and Abe Answer uh, finish T2 at, at 15 under, which would have won, you know, most masters leading up to that. So when we've seen when this course does get soft, like scoring is possible. Um, so yeah, if, if the forecast again does hold and we do get a softer Augusta national, although it will effectively play longer, I do think more birdie chances will become available um, to, to players this week. So um, yeah, iron play is certainly super, super important. It's again, one of the more difficult iron courses to, um, yeah, that we see on a year to year basis on the PGA tour. So guys will have to be locked in with their irons. It's, it's one of those courses that really dif- differentiates, um, second shot players versus guys that are maybe a bit deficient in that area where, where Augusta maybe exposes a bit of a soft underbelly is off the tee. Uh, so off the, uh, so Augusta ranks right in the middle of the pack on tour in terms of difficulty to gain strokes with a driver. Uh, the fairways here are the second widest on tour. And for a major championship, particularly when you compare it to like a U.S. Open or PGA Championship, how they're setting up the golf courses now, the rough is about as benign as you'll ever see. Um, 17th on tour and rough penalty. Um, and notably, as the course, like I said, has been lengthened, it takes away a lot of the shot shape demands. Um that we historically saw at Augusta. So obviously for a long time, the narrative at Augusta was what draw hitters and, and lefties, right? I mean, Bubba, Phil, Mike Weir, you know, ton of guys that had draws on the tee had documented success at Augusta. But if you look recently, it's been less um, conducive to just, you know, just fading guys that fade the ball. Uh, you know, we've seen DJ Hideki, Scotty win the last three years, you know, Tiger hits his primarily cut off the tee. So I think, some of those narratives, you know, if you're if you're looking at, you know, differentiating differentiating yourself in a drafting contest or something like that, or, or maybe going against the grain, um, I, I would lean away from the the drawers narrative or the lefty narrative a little bit more than the past years, just given that 
Um, this course has been lengthened so much that you hit so many drivers off the tee. And um, I think it was Patrick Cantley was on no laying up uh, last week, talking about the, uh, talking about the masters coming up and the course setup. Um, he said, quote unquote, I mean, they've moved so many of the tee boxes so far back that it really doesn't matter if you shape it right to left or left to right. Uh, basically every hole um, I'm just thinking, I'm just thinking of hitting it as far and as straight as possible uh, irrespective of shot shape. So um, Augusta is quite generous off the tee. Um, but I will say that again, if, if the course is wet, it's going to even more so prop up the distance narrative, uh, because that is a narrative that I think that you'll hear a lot on, on podcasts and shows this week is, um, because of the lack of penalty that you're going to get off the tee, um, guys that hit the ball a long way, just have an inherent advantage uh, around Augusta national. So, um, the forgiveness in that sense kind of, uh, plays against Augusta. Um, and, and it makes it a little bit more gettable off the tee than your traditional open or your traditional major setup. Um, and especially, you know, if this course is, is, is playing soft and receptive, um, you know, guys that are going to be able to carry the ball 300, 310, 320 off the tee, all of a sudden are hitting three, four less clubs in the greens than, than guys that are traditionally relying more on accuracy and, and trying to, you know, utilize the run outs on, on kind of faster uh, fairways that Augusta traditionally uh, boasts. So, Moving on to around the green play um, and back to, again, one of the more difficult features of Augusta National. These are the most difficult around the green complexes on the PGA Tour. Uh, winners on average have come into the Masters gaining over a stroke and a half on the field um, with a short game per tournament. And, you know, with Augusta, it's if you're missing greens, it's either tight chipping areas that, you know, you basically need to have just pure contact off of or deep greenside bunkers where, again, you're going to have to land these bunker shots and chip shots on very small shelves uh, with a ton of spin to get into stop because otherwise, like I said, with the approach shots, if you're missing your spots around the greens and on the greens, you're all of a sudden going to be having 30, 40, 50 feet for par uh, and hoping to two putt for bogey um, pretty quickly. So if you look at the past champions, like I mentioned earlier, you know, Scheffler, Decky, DJ, Tiger, Patrick Reed, Danny Willett, Sergio Garcia, Jordan Spieth, elite short games are about as reliable of an indicator as, you know, any, ball striking trend or course history trend you're going to find. So um, I'm weighing around the green play about as much as I've, as I'll ever weigh it uh, over the course of the season. And then finally putting uh, putting is again, it's always the toughest thing to predict on a week to week basis. Um, but Augusta does present some of those obvious challenges for the inexperienced. It is the most difficult set of greens to gain strokes putting here last year. It ranks as the third and second most difficult from five to 15 feet and 15 feet plus respectively. Um, so lag putting for me is really, 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 really important. You're going to have a lot of 35, 40, 50 footers. I feel like around Augusta national, the ability to lag that putt in, take your par, just limit the amount of six footers you're going to have, um, is, is super, super crucial. Um, and so, yeah, if you're looking for putting splits, I would look number one at, at approach putting or three putt avoidance. Um, and then you could also look a little bit at some like faster green, green complexes, like maybe Mirfield village, um, like a, a Bay Hill, sawgrass, et cetera, places where, you know, there's not a lot, of, not a lot of friction between the golf ball and the green and guys are, uh, it, it kind of, again, um, rewards more die putters, guys that, um, have great speed control and can, you know, repeatedly get down into from 35, 40 feet and beyond. Um, the tricky kind of part is with Augusta is that we've seen poor putters in the past, like Hideki, Sergio, and Zalatoris have repeated success in these greens. We've seen guys like, you know, Fitzpatrick, Homa, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Tyrrell Hatton, guys that are historically strong putters. They've kind of struggled on these greens. Um, so 
it is, you know, you can kind of make the case that I think experience at Augusta National means almost as much, if not more, than actual like just generic putting splits that we are we're taking from like Arizona and Texas, et cetera. Um, and so <clears throat> that's what kind of makes it difficult to really parse. Um, but, you know, just in general, I think it only further cements the, the case for players with an extensive catalog of, of experience to fall back on around here. Um, kind of knowing where to miss it is sometimes even more important than, you know, your actual putting acumen, because I don't care how good of a putter you are from 15 feet above the hold Augusta, but you're going to, you know, you're going to be as defensive as humanly possible. Um, either way, whether you're the best or the worst putter in the field. So key stats now and getting into the actual model here. Uh, so my key stats, just a quick overview again, driving distance almost exclusively for me over any kind of accuracy or total driving stat, even uh, middle of the long iron proximity. I'd even prefer to see um, some recent results like iron play in particular is, is one where I, I want a guy to come in uh, with some solid form on approach um, heavy on strokes getting around the green, a um, little bit of sand saves in there as well, but certainly the ability to chip off a tight lies. We saw it like Riviera, Southern Hills, um, even some of the open championship venues have similar kind of tight um, lies you have to chip on and get that pure contact to, to utilize spin. Um, so those would be kind of other correlated courses I'd be looking at. Of course, course history, um, probably as imperative at Augusta as any other course on tour and then lead in form um, to pair with that as well. So yeah. Um, yeah. I guess a few kind of key trends and key stats real quick. Um, 20 of the tw last 21 master champions had at least two master starts uh, beforehand. Seven of the last 10 champions also had a previous T5 around Augusta national and 12 of the last 13 had a top eight finish in any of the last eight major championships they they contested. In. So not just Augusta, but just around uh, a major championship type of venue. Um, so yeah, that, that pretty much wraps up everything that I'm looking at from a statistical standpoint. Um, hopefully that wasn't too verbose, but I will run down real quick uh, my final ranking for these guys heading into Augusta National. Uh, number one in my model is Roy McIlroy, actually. Roy comes in at number one. I have Scotty Scheffler at number two. John Rahm is number three, so no real surprises there with the top three. Uh, Xander Shoffley comes in for me at number four. Tony Finau is five. Justin Thomas is six. Patrick Cantley is seven. Colin Morikawa is eight. Jordan Spieth is nine. Sung J.M. is 10. Jason Day is 11. Shane Lowry, 12. Tommy Fleetwood, 13. Max Homa, 14. And Will Zalatoris rounds out the top 15. A uh, few sleepers down there, kind of in the 15 to 25 range that I've noticed. Uh, Justin Rose popped for me actually pretty well this week. Uh, Keith Mitchell, Tom Hoagie, even a little bit of Siwoo Kim. Uh, and Mita Pereira, Chris Kirk were kind of some of the guys that, that really, um, yeah, some of the guys further down the odds board that, you know, maybe rated out a little bit better than what their position would uh, would have indicated. So, um, yeah, I think I've talked enough for the last 10, 15 minutes. So let's get into into the real talking points and guys that, that we're touting to, to make some money this week in the betting market. So I do have one quick question before we actually hit the outright board. <clears throat> so I know that I know what, uh, database you use on the back end there but um for the listeners does that database or anything you're factoring in does it have any live stats or is that even trackable like do they even track anything they don't so the best you could probably do is data golf uh they have a just comprehensive weighted strokes gain category so that doesn't just take into account your 
um, your overall strokes gained to your field, but it contextualizes it based on the strength of the overall field. So if you go to like a, a live golfer, uh, a live golfer's data golf profile, you will see, you won't get to see the breakdown of the four components. Like you won't get to see off the tee approach around the greens and putting. You will get to see an overall indicator. So like strokes gained total and a little bit of uh, like driving splits, like distance and accuracy, pretty basic stuff there. So yeah, it's not the same proprietary stats that we get on like the European tour or the PGA tour. Um, but if you are looking for basic performances outside of just simple results, data golf probably is the best you could, you could possibly do. Uh, in regards to live players. Gotcha. Yes, and you're right. I can bet that. I'm looking at it right now. All right, yeah. cool. Yeah, I was just curious from a – because, I mean, I, I honestly have no clue. Like, I have no clue how these guys have performed outside of the yeah. tour. I haven't really paid a lick of attention. I know that Brooks won this past week. I know that Dustin won a few times last year. That's about yeah. all I know. Um, so, and it's, you know, it's, it's a huge scoreline, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, kind of how these guys perform. Is the pressure going to be too much for them because – they're probably going to be widely booed and and not, uh, you know, glorified, yeah, I guess, to speak. I've heard that Dustin's just sporting all his live gear all, all week so far in the practice grounds. Um, yep. So, yeah, I don't know. It's going to be fun. I think even just from a PGA versus live standpoint, right? I'm sure those will be, like, for Derek's world, right? I'm sure there's going to be some head-to-heads with, like, PGA guys, specifically against some live guys, and that's going to be fun to look at. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I guess – I don't know if you had any other quick thoughts about Liv before we jump in, but I was just curious from a, from a stat-based standpoint if we had anything to kind of track for that metric. So, Yeah, it, it's it's a really good point. That's, I mean, we, we've gone 20-some minutes in this podcast and not really brought it up, so that's that's good hosting by you, bringing probably the biggest storyline we have in the Masters. I mean, I from like a golf nerd standpoint, I love talking about like the changes made to 13 and like the weather conditions of the course setup, but like from like a – if ESPN's covering the Masters, like that's going to be the lead story. If if any of these live guys find their way into the mix on the weekend, um, it's going to be huge for golf. To be quite honest with you, um, and obviously there's a lot of really compelling names, guys that have had a lot of success around this venue before um, on lives. So yeah, I, I'm going to take it case by case. There are some guys where I'm I'm pretty worried overall about what live how live has affected their preparation, but there's some guys that I think. Um, you know, you named DJ. I think he's kind of the perfect example of someone that, you know, I, I really don't care what DJ's been up to for the last like three months. He's had a lot of success at Augusta through his career, and I think he can. Um, he's just so damn talented that, um, you know, he can kind of find his way. I think, no matter irrespective of, of recent form or what he's been doing um, in those exhibitions. All right. So I think on that note, let's go ahead and move. Now that we're thirty minutes in, right? Let's go ahead and move to the outright board here. Um, and you know, no better place to start than right here at the top with the same three guys that are at the top of every major. Um, but Roy McElroy, Scotty Scheffler, John Rahm. Uh, for most books, Roy and Scotty kind of the consensus favorites at plus seven, plus 800. Um, John is a little bit far behind, not a little bit further behind, just but only at 10 to one. Um, does that dip in value give you any interest, or do you like prefer one of the two consensus favorites? Yeah. Uh, so full disclosure, I I made my biggest probably golf bet ever uh, after the Players Championship. I bet Scotty Scheffler at ten to one before books moved that price because I figured with only about three weeks until Augusta, like he was inevitably going to be the co-favorite, at least the co-favorite if not the consensus favorite uh, this week. So I do have already you know my foot like 
in the in the Scotty camp, uh, so to say. So um, obviously, like he would be my favorite play. But sir, if you're if you're starting your car this week, like I really couldn't talk you down from just taking the value on Rom at, at ten to one, as, as opposed to like especially at this part of the board where seven versus ten to one means so much more than like a thirty versus a thirty three to one, for example. Like that, I mean. It, the fact that I got Scotty at 10 to one versus seven to one basically enabled me to bet an extra guy at like 2025 um, just based on the difference of, you know, of money you have to put up at, at 10 to one versus seven to one. So I understand from like a car construction standpoint, if you bet Scheffler or Rory at seven, it's, it's kind of, that's kind of it for you um, just based on my typical budget allocation or it's almost it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, I mean, Rom's a guy that, what three to four weeks ago we were all kind of coronating as you know the best player in the world he obviously won at genesis won at amex won at uh the tournament of champions came out of bay hill shot at opening round 64 led the tournament by two and then you know since then it's been a it's been a lot of question marks you know he finished pretty poorly at bay hill three rounds over par finished t39 there withdrew from the players with a stomach bug and then early exit a match play. So it's kind of, it's kind of weird how quickly these things change. But I mean, Rom's a guy that, uh, I mean, you talk about long iron play, the short game of the putter have certainly come back. The driver's always elite. So he's, he's dangerous anywhere he teased up, but especially a place like Augusta, if it plays this soft and the emphasis is a lot, you know, kind of shifts towards length and long iron play. Um, yeah. He's a, he's a guy I would have no hesitation going to at, at 10 to one. If that's a, if that's the place you want to start your card, I have um, again no qualms. So, um, yeah, that's to answer your question. For me, Scotty is still my favorite play on the board. Again, I do have a bet on him at ten to one. Um, I think he's just kind of far away, far and away the safest uh, prospect. If you're looking for like, if you're a casual better and you just want to put a hundred dollars down on the Masters and hope that you have a guy on Sunday, uh, just sweat. Like I think Scotty's kind of the just again he has the safest all around profile. Like from a tee to green standpoint, um, I, even on like. If Scotty's got his best stuff, like I don't even think Rory and Rom can kind of kind of match what he does from a ball striking perspective from T to Green. Um, and you know, if he brings anywhere near the same kind of short game prowess we saw at Augusta last year, I mean, he was a wizard on and around the greens. Um, I know because I had a Cam Smith ticket, and every time I felt like Scheffler was going to take a step or two back, he would chip it to two feet and tap it in for par. And he was just amazing at getting out of jail, getting out of trouble. And that's been a common theme for Scheffler. Um, as he's kind of gotten back into form and, and staked his claim once again to Derek's point of being the best player in the world over the last month or month and a half, uh, probably since Phoenix. So he, he's getting that short game magic back, those magical chip-ins, those 15-foot par saves. We're starting to see the Scheffler of old, and now he comes back obviously to a venue where he you know, won by three and four put in the last hole. So, um, again, I, I would say there's in the profile, there's really not any kind of holes in Scotty's game outside of the putter. You know, we saw it in the match play where he was a little bit, you know, he was a little bit shaky from that four to seven foot range. And um, certainly the stats will be out as well. Like if, if you are looking, if you're trying to nitpick on Scotty Scheffler, like he is, he does tend to struggle a little bit on those shorter putts. But the good news with Scotty is number one, the TD Green game is so good that he's going to create a ton of birdie chances as it is. And number two, he's one of the better lag putters on tour. So if he is able to hit the green regulation, I do trust him. Um, again, to, to cozy the ball up to two or three feet to tap in range. And, and unless he, you know, loses a little bit of ground from a ball striking perspective, he's not going to have a lot of six, seven, eight footers for par. So um, I think there's, there's 
two potential outcomes this week. Number one is we get a classic knockdown, drag it out fight to the finish, a classic Masters ending. But I think the possibility certainly exists that Scotty brings his, his best and, and CBS for the second three year has to kind of scramble to cover the five or second because he's the only player in this field that I think has the possibility and has the ability, um, you know, to, to win a golf tournament and, and run away from a field like this at a venue like this by three, four or five shots. We've seen it now twice in the last 12 months at last year's masters and now at Sawgrass just about a month ago. So um, yeah, for me, he's, he's still the best player in the world. And um, if, if I had one bet, it would, it would be on Scotty, but I know Derek has historically been every time he's come on to this podcast, I've always made this case for Scotty and he's always poured some cold water on me. Uh, famously won a box of TB fives off me at the PGA when Scotty missed the cut. Um, so Derek kind of want to know lifetime uh, batting a thousand against me lifetime in terms of like us going head to head against, you know, deciphering these top guys. I think you had Rom at, at the PGA and I had Scheffler uh, and you, you won that head to head. So, yeah, I guess I'll, I'll frame the question the similar way to, to what Chris did to me. But if you're looking at these top three guys, number one, are you comfortable going seven to ten to one, um, or like in the single digits of the tournament like this? Or, um, and I guess if so, which one do you do you favor? Yeah, I think that's a good question. I mean, all these guys, deservingly so, are here. There's a reason why they're at single digits, meaning like six and a half to one or nine to one, where everybody else is 14, 16, 20 to one. So there's obviously um, their strengths outweigh the rest of the field. However, this is the Masters and anything can happen. So, you know, Rory's obviously coming in looking to get the Grand Slam. There's so much conversation about that for him. Uh, Rom, like I mentioned earlier, red hot to start the year. Does he pick it back up? Is this a good time? You know, this is this isn't a flat uh, course by any means. There's so much undulation throughout the course. There's a lot of you know uh, elephant backs, if you will, in the greens. They put the pin positions in perfect spots to really mess with the players and get them thinking. John Rom has historically not had maybe the best temperament. Uh, however, that has changed maybe over the last few years, but. If a guy starts kind of getting rattled and, and a little shaky, you know, that can really deter a guy from even making the cut. And, you know, this isn't a, a field where we have 140 guys. We we have a limited field. This is the best of the best. But and I think the uh, the cut is like, what, 50 or 60 somewhere in there. Yeah, I think um, it's top 15 ties, but it's only 89 people to your point. So yeah, right. Yeah. Right. So it's not a, you know, even something like that. And it's a good thing to bring up where, you know, typically I would look at maybe who's going to make the cut or miss the cut. This is this, there's not a betting edge. I don't feel like some where some of the prices are this week, because like you said, you really have to be in the bottom 20 to be out. Everybody else yeah. is, is in. So, and then Scheffler defending champion, obviously, I mean, look what he just did it at Austin. I know, he fell apart late, uh, but just the way that he hits the ball and just gets don't don't mind what his foot uh, stance looks like coming through the ball. As long yeah. as that club face is getting right through it and making square contact and he crushes it, that's all that you need. I mean, he's had so many chip ins. I know it was talked about a lot during the players uh, championship, how, uh, you know, him and his caddy have a little bit of a side bet. If he has 10 chip ins, he gets a, a pretty big bonus. And he had, I don't know how many he even had in the players, but yeah. some of that as well. And I was thinking about it today. I don't know if there's something out there, but it's almost like a luck factor. You know, these are professionals and they're going to get everything close. He does have a lot of chip ins, um, <clears throat> but 
you know, he's a guy you mentioned about 18. Uh, his shot went way left, had to take a drop. The The next shot went past the green, had a little issue on the green. So he knows how to at least get there and finish. Obviously, he's the defending champion. But mm-hmm. so there's nothing you can really go wrong. I, if I'm going to bet on these guys, I'm doing it as a more of a hedge uh, against anything else, just because it's like, you know, I'm going to have these guys. There's there's a lot greater numbers below. And depending yeah. on weather and when guys, you know, their T, their T grouping, there's always a surprise. There's always a couple guys that you think about, shoot, I should have jumped on him. I mean, Tony yeah. Finau is a perfect example where a couple years ago, pretty much dislocated his entire foot. Uh, put it back together. Next thing you know, next day when everybody's like, he's probably going to miss, he was the first round leader. So there's always these guys that kind of come up and um, surprise you. And that was, that was a name just a few years ago. So yeah, I mean, the top three of the top three for the reason it gets fun from here on, but I think, you know, got to keep them where they're at. I'm using it as a hedge. If I, if I even invest uh, on them as an outright. Yeah. Taking a, taking a Chase Elliott at road courses approach, basically. Uh, for the top three. There you bit. go. So, I like that. So, so our NASCAR fans. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I think that's actually a pretty well-stated point in terms of like how much better are these guys than the second tier? Like that's kind of the question you have to ask yourself if you, you know, when you're making a betting card from scratch, I understand like I can go and say, yeah, I bet Scotty Scheffler at 10 to one, but it's a much different argument if you're asking me to play seven to one and, and I do think if we're, if we're going to go back to the course conditions and, and the soft conditions, and if I expect this course to play easier, I actually think that aids the second tier. Uh, if the course plays a little bit easier and guys are able to hold greens a little bit easier because all of a sudden it's there's not as much of an emphasis on the all-around game. And, and kind of what you're getting when you're paying up for these guys is that, Scotty, I mean, outside of like a few you know rogue miss four-footers, like not really much of a weakness. Rom, not much of a weakness. Rory, not much of a weakness anymore. Um, and so, like, when you take a, when you maybe take away one of the key elements that they would use to separate themselves, like, just for example, let's just say the greens play extremely receptive and guys are hitting 65, 70, 75 percent of the greens, which is typically unheard of at Augusta. But short game all of a sudden becomes a little bit less of an issue or less of a factor in having success. That opens up the the possibility for a lot of these, you know very talented yet flawed players further down the board that we're going to talk about here in a little bit. So it, it's a really, really interesting problem to have. Um, and truthfully, I, if, if Scheffler was seven to one and I didn't have a 10, I, I don't know if I'd be comfortable making the click and, and making him my only bet, my only bit of exposure on a given week, just based on the, the difference in, in coarseness that we're going to see. And obviously, um, you know, we haven't had a, a repeat champion at Augusta. They've only had three repeat champions at Augusta in its entire history of the Masters. Uh, Tiger, Nick, Jack, and Faldo. So for something that's only happened three times in, you know, the over, I don't, I don't even know. I, I should know how many Masters there have been, but <laughs> like almost 100 years worth of Masters, I feel like at this point. Um, yeah, there, there's certainly like question marks to have. Like I don't think any one of these three has a perfect bulletproof profile. Um, and so, yeah, there's plenty of compelling options as we'll get kind of get further down the board. Um, and certainly, yeah, there's certainly an angle where, you know, maybe scatter shotting three to four names in the 25 to 30 to one range, um, might put you in with a better chance if the course plays a certain way, uh, this week. So, um, yeah, I, I would personally power these guys, Rom, Rory, Scotty, or I'm sorry, Scotty, 
Corey Rom. Uh, Derek, how about you? Where would you like in a vacuum? If you're talking about fantasy or just like if you're ranking with these guys, who do you like the best? Who do you like the worst? Yeah, I think you have to put Scotty first because of recent, you know, just seeing what he's been doing. I'm going to put Rory there just because, you know, if you need a guy, I think on Sunday where you're holding a winning ticket and he's in the last group uh, within two strokes or so, or even in the lead, you know, he's going to get it done. So he's going to be, he's not going to fall off before nine. Um, I know, you know, has that history on 10. It was a number of years ago where he had that, the collapse, but he's a different player, more mature player. So I would put Scotty, Rory, Rom. Okay. Yeah, we're in agreement. So we're in agreement there. I, I will probably hit you up then. Just just, uh, just a warning. If Rory does hold the 54-all lead, we might have to get a little head-to-head action going between uh, Rory and maybe oh. one of the chasers. Uh, I'm, I'm always ready. Oh, Because you, you would fade him? I. Yeah, not a blind oh. fade. But like I mean, I think I think maybe that the fact that the the idea that Rory's bulletproof for the fifth role lead is is uh, maybe a little bit overstated. I, I think he's oh. he's got plenty of uh, of give back in him. If you you, you got my number, you got my number. So yeah. if you need to do a head to head or something, I'm in. Time <laughs> will tell. Time will tell. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, yeah. hopefully I'll have enough. I'll have enough action, live action, already placed from pre tournaments, where I won't need the Rory head to head. Uh, on Sunday, mm-hmm. but you know, yeah, anything can happen. So, uh, yeah, keep the focus open. all right. So, let's move to the next three here on the Osborne that I'm looking at. Um, and three compelling names, right? You start out with Jordan Spieth, who I just came across a really funny stat earlier today where he is now one on Easter Sunday, two years in a row. So, he's going for three straight years winning on Easter Sunday, uh, which is kind of interesting, interesting. right? Never missed a cut at Augusta until last year. Um, so a guy that's a little of a course horse and, you know, Easter, Easter bunny. I, I was trying to make something funny out of that. Didn't quite work. Didn't land. <laughs> um, then you got Patrick Cantley, who, you know, he's never won a major, but he's looking to get, you know, kind of get the, his first like real big victory other than the PGA Tour Championship. And then Justin Thomas, who we haven't seen win since the PGA Championships last year. So uh, three big names here, but three interesting numbers, I feel like, for these guys. So where do you guys sit on these guys? Kick it off, Derek, if you want. Yeah, that's a good question. And interesting thing about Spieth, so 24 of the last 25 winners have made the cut the year before they won the Masters. So that would uh, – only Spieth would probably defunct that uh, that stat. So, uh, I, you know, you got to put – you said Thomas, Spieth, and who else? Cantley. Yeah, so I would, I would say Thomas, hands down, would be my top guy. I know he's uh, the last one ranked here on the odds boards, but then – Speeds look good. Um, you know, it's kind of like what we were talking about with Tiger. In some of these places, these players come to, you can look at like Freddie, uh, even Rose. They just have a knack for some of these places. So give me Thomas, Speeth, and nobody's talking about Cantley, but everybody's thinking they should probably have Cantley on their card in some way. Cantley would be last in this list for me. Interesting. So the disagreements continue, uh, Derek. It's good. I, yeah. It's good content. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Because <laughs> honestly, man, like it's it's hard to find a lot of people that are low on Cantley and golf Twitter right now, which is always a bit worrying when we all think we have it figured out. Uh, so he's probably going to be like six over through six. But look, I've picked Patrick Cantley to win the last two Masters. For better or for worse, I'm just like I'm goo goo for this guy. I don't know what it is, but he's playing so damn well to start the year, and I'm I'm not jumping off. I'm not jumping off yet. I mean. The Pielo Pass profile was always that he didn't really have a discernible hole in his game. You know, from T to Green, what was with the putter, he was capable of kind of patching together. And that was 
so much of the re- that was such a big reason why it was so befuddling why he not really had major success because I felt like his game was so well built, um, just all around game that doesn't make a ton of mistakes. Is a guy that every time you pan to him on TV, he's putting for birdie from like 15 feet. Um, but now, not only has he kind of maintained that level of balance, but he's also started to build one of the most consistent ball striking profiles on the PJ Tour. Uh, this is a guy that actually leads the PGA Tour in total driving uh, in 2023. He actually is currently he places currently right between Scotty Scheffler and Sam Burns in driving distance. So he's actually picked up a bit of distance. He's top ten in this field in driving distance, where um, he's made some equipment changes, gone to a bit of a stiffer shaft, and the drivers absolutely dialed in for P, uh, for PC. And then you talk about a guy that possesses again some really really nice middle to long iron splits. Uh, he's one of just six names in this field to rank inside the top 25 in all three of my key proximity ranges. This would be 150 to 175, 175 to 200, 200 plus. Um, and then you just, you know, this is coming in. You know, this is this is also a guy that you kind of have to contextualize because Cantley's not typically a very hot starter, particularly like in the month of February, March, as we get in the south uh, southeast and end of Florida. He typically kind of does his best work either on the west coast to start the year or in the Northeast in the summertime. Uh, so for him to come out um, at Bay Hill, finish fourth, for him to come out the players and gain, you know, over 10 strokes ball striking, finish T19 there. Um, this is a guy that held the the solo lead walking off 15 green in 2019, made two bogeys down the stretch to kind of, um, to nerf his finishing business a little bit, but he's been in the mix deep into the master before. And he's playing, I think some of the best golf on the planet right now. I think if you, if you take away the top three, I think most people would would place him right now as the fourth best player in the world. I think Homa maybe would have a have a uh, an argument, maybe a Xander or a JT to your point might have an argument. But I, I think the consensus would probably be Patrick Cantley as the number four player in the world. Um, and again, he can just get it done in so many different ways. He's one of the best bent grass putters um, over a long term sample, and he kind of has that sneaky run. You know, we talked about his limited major success over the last few years, how he's disappointed people in, at the Masters last year at the PGA Championship. Um, but finished 14th at last year's U.S. Open, finished T8 at last year's Greatest Open at St. Andrews. Again, another course that correlates pretty heavily with Augusta National. So it just all kind of pieces together. I, I've been on the record saying I think Patrick will win a major in, in 2023. So I'm gonna I'm gonna back that up and, and start now here at 22 to one. Patrick Cantley, I'm locking that in. Uh, to, to Derek's point though, I, I do really like Justin Thomas. He was probably if if there's one guy that I have not bet outright that I, um, you know was probably one of the last to be crossed off. I think JT is is in a really, really good spot. Again, coming in a little bit under the radar, if you would have asked, you know, somebody at the start of 2023 who their, like, top four or five favorites to win the Masters were, like, JT was, like, consensus, like, 12 to 14 to 1 across the board uh, coming into 2023. And now he – look, he hasn't, like, yet contended for a win yet. He finished fourth in Phoenix, but that was a bit of a backdoor T4. Um, so not, not the gaudy results coming into Augusta that we would – you know, hope to be seeing, but at 25 to one for a guy with not only his master's pedigree, I mean, this is a guy that um, has made every cut at Augusta national has four top twenties. I think in his career around Augusta, he's finished uh, solo third before as well. Phenomenal long iron player hits a plenty long up the tee and more importantly, elite short game. I mean, if you, if there's anyone that I trust to chip and, and pitch the ball from around the greens that on tight green side lies or in out of the sand, like JT might be, might have the best short game on the planet right now, at least on the PJ Tour. He ranks number one in total short scan around the greens over the last 24 rounds. So um, I think JT profiles phenomenally well for this golf course. I would not blame anybody for going there at 25 or 22 to one. 
Um, for me, it's Cantley. Um, and then Spieth, I think you're just paying a little bit of a premium. It's kind of similar to Rory. I think, you know, like Rory and Spieth are always, I mean, they're like the Cowboys and the Steelers of the PGA Tour. Like you kind of always have to pay that extra couple couple cents to to bet on Rory and Spieth, particularly when Rory's going for the Craig Grand Slam, particularly when Spieth is playing at a place like Augusta where he's had so much documented success. Um, so for me, yeah, like it wouldn't surprise me to see Spieth um, go out there and play well, but as an overall player, I still would put him, I'd put him quite a ways behind the, the players he's kind of priced around um, in terms of just the overall profile that he brings to the table. So um, just a few too many question marks with the overall game for Jordan. Um, I think he can certainly be dangerous. He can certainly go out there and shoot a 64 at a, at a moment's notice around Augusta. Um, I don't actually mind him as a first round leader play. If you guys are looking for like a Thursday sweat, I think Spieth has a better chance of, of just starting super hot and, and, you know, getting off to a really, really hot start versus sustaining that over the course of 72 holes and holding off guys that um, guys like Scheffler, Rory, Ron, that just have just far greater all around skill sets. So um, yeah, Cantley followed closely behind by JT for me. And then, and Spieth for me, just based on the price at like 16, 18 to one, I'm, I, I really have no interest um, in the outright market. So not a believer of the winner on Easter Sunday. Got it. All right. No. So <laughs> uh, we're believers. <laughs> I mean, yeah. If he if he wins this one, if he if he wins this week, I I will like just blindly bet speed at, at next year's Easter, whatever events on Easter. Next year. <laughs> I'll, I'll pay the four to one, whatever it takes at Harbor Town or whatever. All right. So that brings us to the next range here, which. Uh, if, if none of the arguments have made a case for you so far, I assume this is the range where you will be feasting because we have eight guys listed at 25 to one, um, all of very different um, facets. Uh, we've got some live guys in here, some recent winners. Um, so let me read them off for you. But starting off, no other than Cam Smith uh, back back on U.S. soil this week. Colin Morikawa, one of the best ball strikers, seems like, of the year, but just can't quite putt. Still, uh, Dustin Johnson, another live guy. Uh, Ian brought up a little bit earlier. Jason Day, another guy who's just been phenomenal this year. Um, I know we were on him for the players. Um, Max Homa, again, Max Homa and Tony Finau, I guess for that matter, both winning multiple times over the last few months. Uh, Xander at 25 to 1. And I'm going to throw in Sam Burns just because I feel like it's at 28 yeah. to 1, he's kind of like right there in the mix, but I don't think he compares to this other list of guys here. Um, so, a lot of names to talk about, lots to break down. Um, feel free to start where you guys want. Okay, so as Chris was kind of going through that, I was like, I don't really want to talk for like 14 minutes about all eight of these guys. So I'm going to talk about one guy, and then I'll let Derek talk about a guy, and then we'll kind of go back and forth and, and eventually get through all this rage. Uh, so I'm going to start with, with the first guy Chris mentioned, which was Cameron Smith at 25 to 1. I've actually seen a bit of a, a bit of steam on golf Twitter regarding his prospects this week. I know uh, – FanDuel or DraftKings, one of the two big books posted like a 33 or like a 30 to one on him. And that was enough to kind of push some guys um, over the edge. And so I get it. Like, right. Cam Smith, phenomenal masses history, uh, you know, at his peak last year was, I mean, had a case as one of the best players in the world, if not the best player in the world after his open championship win. Uh, great iron player. The short game is phenomenal. The best putter on the planet. He, no, there's maybe no guy in 2022 that I would have, um, trusted for with a 10 footer for my life, um, over Cameron Smith. So the, the general profile is there. Obviously he's had a ton of success at Augusta. The thing that concerns me about cam is I actually listened to his press conference and to Derek's point, um, 
earlier when he's talking about what the kind of coverage he's he's consuming in the lead up to the Masters. I'm a big fan of press conferences. I think a lot of these guys um, not only give really really nice insights about the course and how it's playing, but just like the general preparation, and how they're feeling. Um, and Cam Smith was by his own admission not like like it's pretty obvious considering he just won the players in 2022. Um, but he had. He basically stated the press that like he's not in as good of a spot, um, nearly as good of a spot in 2023 as coming into last year's Masters, where he'd put in a lot of work in the offseason. And, you know, he just come off the Players' Championship. He's going to a place where he's had a ton of success at Augusta and then was in the final group with Scotty Scheffler. And for you know, the first until the third hole, when Scheffler chipped in on three, um, Cam had a real, real shot to just kind of spoil the party uh, on Sunday. So it's just. We're looking at a bit of a different player, though, now in 2023. I mean, he, this is a guy that, by his own admission, again, took a really, really long offseason, went out, went down to Australia for the first time in a few years, um, you know, just to hang with the family, um, take a little bit of time off of golf. He mentioned, you know, plenty of fishing trips in the Ponte Vigia area uh, and lead up this to this tournament. I'm not I'm not saying he hasn't prepared for the Masters, but it not a lot of what he said gave me a ton of confidence that, like, this is a guy that's, you know, that's been grinding on his game day after day, like really building for this. Um, I think, you know, for better or for worse, Cam just kind of has that laid back attitude. Um, and he's got, you know, nine figures guaranteed in the bank now from, from live. So he's just, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's just a much different proposition to what the Cam Smith that we've been used to seeing over the course of 2022 uh, when he was again, one of the best players in the world. So I'm, I'm quite worried about Cam Smith. I think if there is a guy that, I would actually bet to like miss the cut at like a three or four to one price. Like despite his mass history, like I, I think Cam, um, you know, isn't, isn't in a bit of a danger uh, compared to the goes to the guys around him when it comes to like significantly um, playing below his baselines. So that would be my kind of take on, on Cam Smith and the Derek can, can take his, his pick of litter here from 25 to 28. Yeah, it's an it's an interesting group. It's definitely a very competitive group where you can kind of pick any of these guys, make a case for them. Um, not necessarily sure who's my favorite, but kind of like you said, with this exercise, might help us. The one name that caught my eye, and again, there could be pending, you know, storms or uh, wind could be an issue late in the day on Thursday, and you always have to look where is Tiger Woods because you know the committee, uh, the tournament committee is going to be putting Tiger in the best possible spot uh, on Thursday, where you know TV coverage is good, but also that weather is good as well. And the one player playing with him is Xander Shawfleet, so they're going off in Group 12 at the 10:18 time, and I think Xander, there's just a lot of guys. I mean, we know how good he is. Uh, he's not been able to capitalize obviously on a big. Uh, tournament uh, per se, but a guy like that being able to play with the best, arguably one of the best players to ever play the game of golf, uh, I think is a really good thing for him as long as he can keep his head in it. So Xander to me is a guy that if he just gets, just gets going in the right way, doesn't have to get overly hot where you're, you know, three over after four or five, but just staying steady and just keeping the, keeping up with uh, the leaderboard and staying on top. I think he could have a real opportunity where people are talking about him uh, going into round number two and then the weekend just because of where his uh, tee time falls in that morning specifically. So uh, give me Shoffley uh, in this group as our first kind of guy that I'm talking about. Well, yeah, that that's uh, that's exactly what I love to hear. I bet Xander Shoffley 25 to one. He is my last bets. Okay. Uh, I locked in Scheffler 10, Cantley 22, Shoffley 25. That's my entire uh, betting card. So mm -hmm. I didn't actually 
think about the angle with Tiger, but yeah, that's a that's a good point. Like you know, Augusta National is going to do what it can to, to uh, yeah. make sure Tiger's around um, on the weekend. So yeah, it, you know, it can certainly play. Sometimes we've seen it with the wrong way with guys that are maybe a bit inexperienced and haven't dealt with that kind of exposure playing with Tiger Woods. But Xander certainly more um, certainly mm-hmm. more than qualified to um, to handle that kind of atmosphere and so ho- hopefully take advantage of the of the positive court conditions if that's a, an angle you want to take. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to really add too much to it. I've, like I said, I bet Xander Shoffley at 25 to one. Um, you know, he is legitimately on one of the more underreported iron stretches we've seen in recent memory. He's gained an average of three and a half shots per tournament on approach over his last eight starts. He's the best iron player in this field from over 200 yards. Um, you talk about a short game in this putter. I mean, he probably has the most trustworthy putting stroke, um, maybe outside of Cam Smith, obviously, but at least right now on the PGA tour of anyone, in the top like 10 Xander's like he's one of the first guys I'd pick over an eight foot putt um, that that's must make. And then he's long held. Uh, he's long had one of the better short games of anyone on tour. So uh, two top three finishes in Augusta national over his last five or over his last four starts. And I actually found it pretty strange because obviously we talked about Rory being seven to one in this field. He was, um, you know, probably before the match play. I mean, it was Scotty and Rom and then Rory, he was kind of the, Consensus number three behind uh, the two guys that that Derek, to Derek's point that have went on those winning stretches to start the year. Um, you know, Roy got moved from ten to seven to one after making the semifinals of match play. Don't forget, Xander Shoffley was rolling through that golf tournament. Uh, took Roy down to the wire. Honestly, outplayed Roy for a large portion of the of the quarterfinal match. And you know, he kind of remained he's remained largely forgotten this week off of a, of a really good performance. So, I, I think he's got again. An all-around phenomenal game. Uh, I love Xander this week. He was kind of again every every time I yeah no matter no matter what I looked at he, the cat the numbers kind of pointed me to to Shoffley this week. So um, yeah, echo what Derek said. And uh, obviously we're, we're we're in a twenty-five to one. Um, if I'm picking one more name from the range, let's see here. I mean, we kind of talked about DJ. I, I don't really think there's much to say. Um, the, the problem with the live guys, especially is like, and DJ especially is like, we're not really getting to much of a price break here. Like he's, he's literally priced with guys like JT and, and Xander and, and Cantley that I think of, you know, like not only do they have a bit of the Augusta track record that you're buying into a DJ, but obviously they've excelled at the highest level. Whereas, um, you know, like the questions certainly can be asked of DJ, whether he's fully competition ready. So, um, yeah, I, I I personally don't have a, a strong stance either way. I'm not fading DJ matchups. I'm not playing him or anything like that. Um, he's just a guy that I'll uh, kind of have to wait and see on. I'll talk about Jason Day for a second because I think from an all-around standpoint, from a statistical standpoint, like Jason Day sets up really, really well for this week. I mean, he's a guy that you talk about short game, you talk about putting, his recent iron placement, phenomenal. He's the only player um, or he's one of just – I think four players to rank inside the top 25 in all four of my strokes game category for the week. So he's doing everything super, super well. The only problem I have with Jason day is the marker we're talking about. Like I don't, I don't see Jason day as a 25 to one outright ticket to win the masters. I see Jason day more as um, like in that 35 to 40 range still, because although he's played extraordinarily well to start the year and I'm, I'm all for, you know, the Jason day hype, like, there's not really, I mean, despite the 19th, 10th, 9th, 5th, 7th, 18th place finishes over his last six stroke play starts, like there's not been one week where he's actually entered Sunday with a chance to win. It's been a lot of 
you know, plodding around, playing really good, consistent golf for four days, and then, you know, ending up with a top finish. It's not really – he hasn't really quite had that Sunday fire of contention. Um, and so, for me, Jason Day is, is actually quite a safe play, but he doesn't really outside for me to really have much interest in 25-1. to 1. Um, You couple that with, you know, his historic back injuries. He's played quite poorly through the years when he has um, – when he has faced cooler climates, and it seems like we're going to get, you know – temperatures in the fifties and sixties for, for a decent portion of the week this week. So um, you never want to put that in the ether, but you know, like if you are talking about a guy that can um, the health problems can obviously pop up at moments known as like Jason day certainly has that uh, downside built in. So um, yeah, 25 to one, I have, I have no interest. If you, if you do want to play like a, like a top 10 or top 20, I think Jason day is very primed to finish like T 12 this week. Um, but you'll you'll get no interest from me from from an hour perspective yeah the next guy the next guy i want to kind of touch on and and before i do i wanted to mention something because it's on my betting card uh going into the masters and it's a head-to-head matchup uh for round one and it's shoffley over hovland and we'll touch on hovland i'm sure in a little while but just a too inconsistent player and you kind of sold me on a few things with xander to make sure that i went in on this bet uh but it's definitely uh, a head-to-head that i love going into round one but the next guy I'll kind of close this out with is Max Homa. You know, Homa is a guy that has the length of some of the major guys we talked about in the first tier, you know, with the Rom, uh, Scheffler and uh, Rory. So he's got the length seems to be hitting his stride. Um, I know he's putting in a lot of work right now, but when you think about hole number 13 specifically, and obviously they back those guys up, one of his favorite shots is that draw. So somebody that can maybe get the most out of that angle and is not intimidated by the eyesight of that would be, would be Homa. So I think coupling all that together, I think Max is poised for a really big week. Uh, I really do. So, uh, he's a guy that's on this list that many are going to flock to, um, and his kind of price point of any, you know, obviously he's sitting at some favorable numbers and uh, shop around as, as these guys say it all the time. And I do as well. So uh, Homo would be that uh, name for me that I would say that I'd be firing on right away. A hundred percent. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm seeing, and Homa is one of those guys where, like, as opposed to a Xander, as opposed to a Cantley or a JT, like, you can find some really nice numbers on Homa. I'm looking at, like, the the current book that, that Chris is referencing that we reference on a week-to-week basis has to be 25 to 1. There's a 34 to 1 right now on FanDuel, uh, which is super, super enticing because when you, again, when you talk about, like, the overall hierarchy on the PGA Tour right now, obviously you have Rom, Scheffler, Rory at the top. I think Cantley's four, but I would put Homa at five. Uh, given what he's done recently with the ball striking, I think he's a top five player in the world. Chris and I have had this discussion many times on the podcast. The only, literally, the only thing about Max Homa that you could point to um, in a negative way this week is the lack of Masters pedigree. Um, he's probably of anyone below thirty to one uh, or forty to one. He's probably the only one that you know has not at least had a bit of success in the mas- at the Masters. You know, last three years, miscut, miscut, forty eighth. Really, really struggled down the stretch uh, last year as well. So, um, yeah, that's again, that's the only the only mark you could have if you want to. Um, again, if you if you want to kind of make the argument that look, he's just a much better player now. Like, I would really have no argument against it. Um, if you're just talking about Max Homa just being again kind of reborn, he is. Uh, he's never come into any major championship with this type of form, so. Um, 
yeah, I mean, this is a guy that literally won the Farmers. He came second to Genesis, 16th of the players, 14th of Bayo. Like, there's not really a lot to, to dislike about the profile. It's only the course history. It's only the fact that, you know, we have so many trends um, in relation to guys that have at least shown a bit of life at Augusta National before breaking through. So, again, I think the win is maybe a bridge too far, even at like 30, 35 to 1. Um, but I certainly anticipate Max having a good week, and, and I hope he does. I hope he can finish somewhere in like the – T15 to T25 range because then you know if he can show a bit of proficiency around Augusta and then build on the current uh, skill set that he has, he, he's a guy that in 2024 could could certainly be on my card uh, going forward. So <clears throat> yeah, love Max. He is a guy to to Derek's point that you can get a bit of value on. Um, so if you want to ignore some trends for the for the week, then have at it because you're getting like I said a top five play in the world at 35 to one. It's not often you can um, you can do that. So. Um, yeah, love, love Max. I'm going to transition to kind of, let's, let's do the final guy. Cause I think Finau for me actually sits up pretty. Oh yeah. Got two, two names. You haven't talked about Colin yet either, which if you think you're going to gloss over Colin. No, uh, that was, I was, I was trying to segue to Colin. I was, oh, okay. I was, yeah. So I, let me just be quick. I, I think Finau kind of rates out pretty similar to Jason day, maybe a little bit more upside, but Finau is a guy that has continually been <clears> at like T10 to like T25 range. I don't expect much different this week um you know the the ball striking has been very consistent it hasn't been elite um and we we're starting to see a little bit of regression with the short game and the putter which when Finau won three times in like a four or five month span it was the putter in the short game like taking that step forward that really carried him into that um and now that it's taken a bit of a step back he's kind of back to the Tony Finau that I think we're kind of used to which is a guy that racks up a ton of top 10s a ton of top 20s but um I'm not betting at 25 to one to, to win the masters. Um, so yeah, Colin Morikawa. Th- this is, I think it's super interesting, right? Because I think Morikawa, if I'm a Morikawa fan, I don't have money on him, but I would love to see him win the masters. That would be, I mean, to watch Colin Morikawa put on a green jacket would be worth the few hundred dollars I lose in that right in the outright market. If you're a Colin Morikawa fan, you're hoping for just, this course to play as soft as possible um, because I, I think if Colin can continually have faith in his distance control and being able to, to stop the ball on these greens with a six or seven iron in hand, like he can be as dangerous as anybody in this field. We saw it in the players championship. He gained over nine shots on approach that week. The iron play is back. Like the ball striking is absolutely fine. The problem is of course that you just feel like, over the course of the week, there's going to be a crucial up and down. There's going to be a crucial eight foot of a par. There's going to be a crucial, you know, even a bogey save or something like that. Just a scrambling, you know, off script moment that he's going to have to rise to the occasion. Now, now when he won two major championships in, you know, a nine month span, he, you know, he made those clutch 15 footers down the stretch for, for par. He made, he got up and down at the open championship at Royal St. George's when he was under the gun. Right, Harding Park, you know, he made the clutch par saves. He made that nine-footer for Eagle on the 16th um, to really extend his lead or to really put himself in the driver's seat down the stretch. So it's always tough to fade a guy strictly on the belief that he just can't make the putt. But it's the, the problem I have with Colin is not just the fact that the putter has regressed this season, but the short game is just not trustworthy at all either. So I think Colin for me profile is actually quite similar to, to Victor Hovland, who Derek mentioned earlier, which um, I think, you know, most people are fading for the exact same reasons. The fact that 
You know, we saw, we've seen it for two straight years now, right? Like the ball striking is phenomenal for Victor. He's going to create a plenty of birdie chances, but if he misses a green, it's basically an auto bogey. It's kind of becoming that way with Colin as well, where if he doesn't have his like a plus ball striking game, um, you know, he's going to, he's going to rack up a lot of lost strokes in a hurry. So if you're call if you're a Colin fan, like I said, I, I want these greens to play receptive. I want him to have full control over the golf ball into these greens. Um, and if this is a masters where guys are going to be, if the possibility is there to hit 75, 80% of the greens and, you know, he can just have repeatedly 25, you know, 20, 25 people birdie all week long. Like, yeah, he's dangerous, really, really dangerous. Um, but we're not really getting a, a huge discount here at, at 25 to one. I really haven't seen a ton of movement across market. If he was like 35 plus, then, you know, I might be able to take the chance there, but um, you know, there's just guys with more well-rounded skill sets, guys that possess very similar ball striking upside um, while not giving up, you know, the, the obvious glaring weaknesses we have uh, with the, with the, with the wedges and the putter. So um, that's my soapbox. I, like I said, I hope things go well for Colin. I know we finished T5 or I think solo fifth here last year. Uh, went on that magical run with Rory down the stretch on Sunday to kind of backdoor his way on under the first page of the leaderboard. But um, I think there are better spots than, than Colin. For me, like if Colin wins at Augusta, I'll be less mad at myself than if he would have won at Sawgrass because I think Sawgrass is a place, like I said, that really suits what he does to a tee. Um, whereas I think just looking forward over like the long-term span of his career, um, no, no matter how high you are on Colin Morikawa, like, I think most people can see like this is not the best course uh, fit for a guy like him. So, um, or first profile. So, yeah, that that's what I would have to say um, on Morikawa. Certainly dangerous. Certainly capable of going out there and making a ton of birdies. Um, but again, over the course of seventy-two holes, um, I, I can see him making a fair few mistakes. And it 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 has felt like as of late when things start to go bad for Colin, they start to it starts to snowball pretty quickly. So, um, yeah, I just don't have the utmost faith, um, at least at this venue. I hope he shows enough to where we can back him. I mean, next week at Harbor Town is a great instance. I mean, he's got a nice stretch in the summer. I think, of course, that fit him really well. LACC is going back home for the U.S. Open. Uh, so there are places where I, I am confident, seeing as though he, he seems to have kind of gained that status back as the best iron player on the planet. It's just not this week for me. All right, so let's move to the kind of 30s. Let's go to the 30s and 40s here. Um, I think there's about five guys listed here. Um, and I think this is probably about the range where I think Ian mentioned earlier where, you know, you don't really expect a winner outside of probably 40, maybe 50 to one. Um, right. But we're looking at Brooks Kepa as a Kepka, as I just mentioned, uh, one on the live tour last week. Um, Will Zalatoris, 33 to one. Corey Connors, one on the PGA tour last week, um, 40 to one. Sung Jam, 40 to one. And Victor Hovland at 40 to one. Um so of these guys, you know, we got a few guys in, in recent form, um, some not. Um, so where do we where do we kind of land here when we're looking at these guys? You said kept good of Hoblin, right? 33 to 40. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's not a lot I, I like from the outright perspective here. Uh, to be quite honest with you. I mean, Kepka legitimately four days ago before he won an exhibition event in Orlando was like 80 to one. Now he's 33 to one after beating Sebastian Munoz by a shot. Like, um, yeah, that's never a move I'm, I'm going to be particularly interested in making. Salatoris is just a complete stay away from me. I, I understand, uh, you know, finished solo second, uh, T6 is last two master starts. But, you know, since he's come back from the back injury, we just haven't seen that vintage Salatoris ball striking. 
the putter was about as bad as we've ever seen it at the match play. So there's just a lot of questions to answer for, for Will this week. And um, yeah, he's playing about as, you know, for, for a guy that I think most of golf Twitter would have like been just searching for reasons to back him here. Um, like he's playing kind of so far below what Will Zalatoris baseline um, typically states that I don't think even the most ardent Zalatoris fans are, are going to be on this week from an outright standpoint. You're kind of just hoping for a bit of life of the ball strike and maybe a top 20 so we can maybe carry that moving forward into the summer. Um, Connor's 40 to one is a, is a joke. Like <laughs> he almost, he almost gagged the Valero away to Sam Stevens. Like I understand the course history is great. Connor's could again, he could finish T 16 and it would not surprise me one bit. He could finish T nine. He will not surprise me one bit. He's not one of the masters, especially not a 40 to one. Absolutely not. Um, and then Sungjae and Hovland. Sungjae for me, again, outright perspective is, is a little tough. He, he does carry the course history that a lot of these guys do, and I think that's why his odds are a bit, are a bit inflated. But from a statistical standpoint, he just hasn't really put together um, like a, a prolonged stretch of, of real um, world-class just tee to green form and, and all-around form. It just feels like Sungjae shows flashes for about nine or ten holes, and then um, he's very, very capable of giving it all back in a, in a pretty uh, in, a, in a hurry. So it's it's a tricky one for Sungjae because I, I do feel like obviously his game suits Augusta National. He's finished he finished T two here in uh, twenty twenty, held the first round lead here last year, and I finished inside the top five. So um, yeah, he, he's well suited for this place. This might be a, a solid get right spot for for Sungjae, but again, I, I do really, really wait recent form and, and guys that are coming in with that confidence and with that aura. Um, looking to you know take down one of the best fields and one of the best events in, in the in the world. So um, yeah, it just you know these guys are priced at forty to one um, again, kind of for a reason. And, and this is not a golf tournament for me that I I'm particularly interested in, in going too far on the board. Although there are guys that do pick my just maybe a little bit past this. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of my case. I, I really have no interest from thirty three to forty um, in betting these guys outright. I would much rather pay the extra ten points and. and go to a JT or Colin or Xander Cantley, et cetera. Yeah. It's an interesting group. Like you said, and, and nobody really pops off the page. Obviously there's going to be one of those groups where you kind of got to hold your nose. If you're going to bet them in any type of way, you know, I was, as we were talking here, I, I found a Colin over Zalatoris in round one. And you mentioned why Colin should be good. Those, those two have some strengths and weaknesses that almost equal each other out. However, Zalatoris coming off that injury, just not what it used to be. And we remember in the Dell match play where he missed that bunny of a putt, and that yeah. those kind of things have. I mean, he's got a putting stroke like my five year old does uh, when it gets that close. So that that can be a little concerning at times. But uh, you talked about Connors last week. Obviously, uh, tried to give it away as best he could. Uh, ultimately, held on. So I don't love anybody in this group to be honest. There's nobody that I really feel like has a a betting edge or a betting opportunity. Uh, of here now if you keep going down the list a little bit it feels like there's more value or even more trust where i have with some of the guys that are past this tier but i just i just don't see myself betting any of these guys um like i can get sam but we talked about sam in the last group but like i can get sam burns at 40 to 1 and i like him so much better than all the guys in this group alone so uh that's a stay away from this group yeah 40 to 1 on bird is is solid i mean he's another guy kind of like yeah. homer that you know he's an elite player without master's pedigree. So that's kind of what has, uh, 
led to maybe him not being as highly touted as you would think coming yeah. off a match play win. I mean, probably the biggest mm-hmm. win of his career to date. Uh, and yet no one's talking about him in his, in his next start. But Burns hits the ball a country mile in soft conditions. Like that length will be really, really valuable for him. He's obviously one of the best putters on the planet uh, mm-hmm. as well, which, which erases a lot of the mistakes he has. Um, for me, the long yeah. iron play is still the biggest question. If he's going to have seven, six, and five irons in his hand consistently, that's not a – that's not really a golf course I really want Burns at. I like him at shorter courses where he can utilize his wedge play, which is historically a lot, um, a lot better compared to to the average field. So, yeah, um, I think that's kind of if if he can carry on a bit of momentum and start striking the ball with his irons, um, you know, to the point, at least at least decently, right? Like he's never going to be like a I don't think an elite long iron player, at least you know right away. Um, mm-hmm. But you know if he can just hold it together with his approach play drive it great putt it great um yeah he's he should be in for sure for his best masters finish to, to date um yeah no i, anyway. I agree and, it, and some of the metrics with him like a pure bent grass greens from 2020 through 2023 you know he ranks in the top 10 in some of the stroke gains putting uh yeah. average at 0.39 so he's he's definitely in the mix so kind of like yeah. you said hits at a country mile but this is a course as well. You know, like we talk about 13, 13 now plays into a strength where guys are going to have to go for it. Uh, lay up. I should say that plays yeah. a little bit more strengths takes out that five iron. Uh, yes. The par threes can be long at times. And what the committee does with those is really good. But I think a course like this where, you know, it's all about getting those birdies and pars. It kind of lends to a guy that, Hey, he might not be able to keep up on most uh, rounds or courses Event, events i should say where you know guys are going minus 20 minus 18 and if he can just kind of stay in there and be at your minus seven i mean he's gonna be he's gonna be a featured guy come sunday so yeah and and the thing is like you're what you're betting on at 40 to one right like i mean for me the conversation at 41 is a lot more compelling obviously than 28 to one like i would never even look at sam burns at below 30 to one but you know, if you're talking about him next to guys like Corey Connors and Sung J M and Brooks Kepka, like it's a lot more, um, like I said, interesting of an argument, or at least there is an argument to be made for a guy like Burns, who again, like he's one of the top prospects in all of golf. Like we kind of forgot about it um, because he had a, a pretty bad run of form to start 2023, but he proved, you know, I mean that match play win is going to give him a ton of confidence going out there and staring down Patrick Hantley, beating Patrick Hantley in the round of 16. Staring on Scotty Scheffler in the in the semifinals. I mean, he he. I mean, I had a Scotty Scheffler ticket, and you know, I was as, as upset as anybody when Scotty blew the four footer on on the second playoff hole. But you know, I mean, for a large portion of that match, Burns was Burns had Scotty on the ropes. Like that was not a fluke win by any means. Like he he very much he very well could have won that in regulation um, with the way he was playing. So I'm sure he takes a lot of confidence out of that experience. And um, yeah, if there's a guy that you know you'd want to bet on like the upside of, of Sam Burns is I think he, he can easily be a top five, top four, top three player in the world at his peak. So getting a guy like that with that pedigree at 41 is, is always very, very enticing. Um, so yeah, I, I guess that's, that's pretty much all I've got for like the outright perspective. Um, now there are a few sleepers that I, I will point to um, maybe further down the list, but I do kind of want to frame it in, Let's go a little bit to the prop market. I know we're going a little bit over time, but um, you know we'll we'll just kind of have a little ten minute discussion with, with Derek because I know you you like to go up matchups. That's that's your thing. You like to go up the placement bets. Uh, that's where your money. That's where your bread is buttered. I, I should say. So as we kind of get down past the 50, 60, 70 to one range, 
Are, is there a guy that you're kind of surprised is down here or maybe on the opposite foot? Is there a guy that like you're surprised in, you know, in the opposite way to where like, Oh, this guy, if this guy's getting, getting matched up against, you know, another guy 50 to one um, that's a move I'm, I'm comfortable making all, all day long, just blindly fading um, one of these guys I have no belief in. That's a good question. I mean, um, it, you know, for many people that maybe are just the casual better that's jumping in, you're going to see Hideki as a past champion at 45 to one. That 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 needs to stay there. He does have an injury uh, history yeah. that he's coming off of, so uh, that's there for a reason. You're not finding value. It's not like an Austin Dillon that's like a 60 to one. Uh, at a plate track that's won three times. So uh, that name needs to stay there. But like Shane Lowry is always a guy that you could trust oh at a place like this, uh, especially with those cooler weather conditions. You know, he's yep. across the pond native and he's used to these cooler temps, rain. So a yep. name like that at 60 to one, like Minwoo Lee, another name uh, that's pretty popular throughout the ranks this week is a name that I like. And, and there is one name that is just, I feel like this guy is so sneaky. Uh, he just lurks for whatever reason. It's Joaquin Neiman. Uh, he's at 70 to one, but I wouldn't run to bet him at, at all yet, but just a name to keep an eye on. I know a lot of people, and you probably will, will mention Tom Hoagie uh, with some of his recent performance that he's had here. So he's at a hundred to one. Uh, I can get him. So uh, Shane Lauer is my, my favorite of the list, uh, but nobody in here. I feel like, um, I feel like everybody else is, is appropriately priced. So him, yeah. he's the only one I could see him at like 45 to one. And I probably would still consider that. Who's that Lowry? Yeah. Yeah. And a solo third, or I think a third or fourth place finisher last year as well. So he, he's coming off. Um, I mean, not only one of the better ball strikers on the PJ tour in general, but has the master's pedigree major champion. He's won WGCs before. I mean, this is a guy that, um, you know, is legitimately a stalwart on the European Ryder Cup team. So he is a guy that is an all-star in the game. And um, yeah, I'm no stranger to losing money on Shane Lowry. So I've never actually been more convinced that Derek's an avid flag hunting pod listener than with the names he just gave out right there, because <laughs> these are, these are my greatest hits, man. I mean, Lowry, Neiman, a uh, little bit of Min Woo in there. Yeah. Hoagie, fucking hell. These are all the guys that I love losing money on. So that's, Maybe a good byproduct of the fact that I wrap my card up at twenty five to one, and uh, and I don't have the money to extend into this range. Um, but certainly, look, I, I, I'm I'm with you on Lowry. I think the like the overall profile fits so so well, and the only thing that's missing, and I, he just can't make a putt to save his life over the last like three or four months. And this is not a guy historically that's always struggled with a putter. Um, and he actually, I think, he was one of the field leaders last year in strokes game putting and strokes game around the greens around the Masters. Like, he actually did it with a short game in this putter around Augusta last year. So you can kind of take that, add it to the ball striking form he currently has. And, yeah, like, it's it's certainly an interesting proposition that's 65, 70 to 1. Um, I, I think Lowry can have, a, can have a really solid week. You talked about Neiman. Neiman's a guy that, I mean, uh, he's probably outside of, like, Cam Smith and maybe – brooks and dj like he was the guy i was most heartbroken that went to live because this is a guy in golf circles that has been known for a long time and he is his nickname is the wonderkin like he is still like 23 24 years old he's one at riviera another classical golf course that emphasizes around the green play a lot of mid-long irons at riviera as well came third at Mirafield village excuse me last year uh with, who jack nichols himself has said he has taken a ton of inspiration uh, from Augusta National to put to put kind of into his 
um, his most famous work or his, um, yeah, his ultimate golf course, I should say. Um, so yeah, he's had success at Corollaries. He's had, uh, two top 40 finishes in the last two starts at Augusta. The only thing with Neiman is obviously the live, um, thing. He hasn't exactly played all that well on live, but he has the talent to certainly, um, make his mark around here. I will throw out Patrick Reed as my favorite live golfer. Actually, uh, we, we kind of besmirched, uh, you know, Cam Smith and Kepka. Um, I was a little bit lukewarm on DJ, but I think Patrick Reed at 80 to one is actually not a bad bet. I think as far as like 80 to one masters long shots go, um, Reed is about as good as you could possibly get, especially this year. This is a guy that, you know, not only a past champion at Augusta, uh, but he has two, uh, top tens in the four years since he's won the title. One of the best short games in the world, one of the best putters in the world, um, and not only has he, you know, kind of had some sneaky results in live, he's had, you know, a second, a fourth and a 25th, uh, and a 12th and four of his last seven live starts, but he actually made two starts, uh, on the European tour, uh, to kind of finish off 2022 and, and kickstart 2023 during lives break. Um, two marquee events in the live golf on, on the, uh, on the DP world tour finished T five at Wentworth at the BMW PGA championship. That was in a field with Rory, Rom. Uh, Hovland, Lowry, like all the big European names were there. Reed finished T5. And then he was one shot away from beating Roy McIlroy at the Desert Dubai Classic uh, this past January. He came solo second there in the European Tour. So he has the course history. He's playing quite well. And, and you know, if there's anyone that's going to embrace that, like, villain role, um, you know, Derek and Chris mentioned that maybe, you know, the crowd would be, uh, would be against these live guys. Like, Reed just kind of embraces that, like, that just raw emotion and like he's just a, a tough son of a bitch no matter uh kind of what your personal opinions are on him so the fact that he's 80 to 1 I would I would much rather go there than to pay you know half the price uh, or you know pay 50 more points to, to bet Kepka or, or DJ or Cam Smith I can't shake the feeling that Reed's gonna put together a, a, a really solid week and um it would be really compelling TV if if he uh ends up, you know, really in the mix deep on Sunday. So, uh, yeah, for me, I would I would say from a pure outright standpoint, Reed does carry quite a bit of downside. I wouldn't necessarily recommend him as like a T20 or T10 play. I think if you're betting Patrick Reed, you just kind of go all in, hope everything clicks, because if everything is there, um, then he could win this event. There's no doubt in my mind. Um, whereas I think Neiman, Lowry, even a Minwoo or, or like a Mito are guys that you could maybe safely play. Or Justin Rose is actually one of my favorite plays as far as like a top 20 uh, or a top 10, someone to target at matchups. Uh, but Rose is a guy that obviously won at Pebble Beach this past year, had a really sneaky uh, T6 of the Players' Championship just a month ago. Um, phenomenal long iron player, phenomenal short game, putts extraordinarily well around Augusta. He's actually one of the best putters historically at this golf course, has had, you know, you know lost in the playoff to Sergio in 2019, so he could very well um, be a past champion. Um, so Rose at 66 and Reed at 80, two kind of wily bets are, are guys that I'm – if I'm placing outrights this far on the board or I'm, I'm trying to expose myself um, in this range, those are the two guys I would, I would look to. So quick note, and, and the last point you might have, you just made might have, might disband this thought, but since we're kind of talking the prop market, I yeah. did just happen to come across Patty Reed V Corey Connors and you can get plus money on P Reed. Yeah. But the, the thing is like, there's, it's a different story when you're talking matchups versus, yeah. Matchups are more about floor than ceiling. Like obviously ceiling is a contributing factor, but 
Connors is as much as a much safer bet to like finish T19 than Reed is. Like, I don't really see the wheels falling off of Connors, whereas like, you know, Reed is the worst could like finish dead last in this field. <laughs> but the enticing part about Reed is like when things go well and he finds a way into the mix. Like, I think, um, yeah, Derek talked about Rory, like how he just has that inherent trust factor about Rory when he's in contention, like to get the job done. Like Reed is like, if he's anywhere on, around the lead and you don't have him on your car, like you're just kind of petrified that he's going to like just steal another one. Cause that's, it feels like all of his wins just came um, out of nowhere, chasing from behind and just making those clutch shots and clutch putts down the stretch. So I wouldn't, again, Reed's not a guy I would like in matchups, like almost at all. Um, but a really, really high upside play. If you're looking for that in like a GPP tournament or like, you know, if you're betting Reed, like I want to get paid off as much as possible if I'm right versus like playing a bit like minus 110 minus 120 even anything around even money um so that that would be my stance on on reed versus what, what is actually the price on Corey in that matchup minus 130 see i would i would be much more interested in Corey connor's minus 130 over patrick reed than i would read over connor's at plus money okay well in that same in that same instance then yeah. ironically there actually is a justin rose patrick reed matchup with rose being minus 130 yeah, Team Rose. Yeah, again, like I, I maybe I oversold my position on Reed. Like I think Reed <laughs> has the potential to certainly make some noise, but like as far as baselines go, like his floor might be as low as anybody in the field. So when we're talking these like one v one propositions, um, Reed just possesses downside that I I don't really see from Rose, Fleetwood, Connors, um, you know, etc. Right, even Lowry. Like I think I would I would trust head to head over over Patrick Reed. So. Um, yeah, I, I don't mean to, to pour cold water <laughs> on the plus money proposition, but, um, but yeah, if we're talking like a one V one bet is a, is a lot different to me than my inherent belief on a guy to beat this 88 man field and, and wear the green jacket on, on Sunday. All right. Well, what else, anything else we guys, you guys even looking at, or at this point we're an hour and a half in, we've talked about a bunch of names, um, but is there anything else that we haven't talked about or we haven't touched on or maybe a matchup that maybe Derek has found? Um, yeah. Anything that you guys have before we maybe close it out here? Yeah, I mean, uh, for me, like I said, I'm just looking right now at some of the round one matchups. Again, just trying to assess this weather being it, it's Tuesday, uh, about 10 p.m. Uh, we'll get a better indication going into tomorrow, but it's a good opportunity when you look at these head-to-heads. Uh, but one of my favorite props to bet on uh, for the Masters is the the score prop over under usually is what they'll give you for a certain score. I really feel like you can play those in those can be betting opportunities for us as the gambler where you can determine, Hey, the wind's going to be picking up here or what are the course conditions? And, and those are held up pretty much until that player tees off. So if you got a guy that's maybe going later, later in the afternoon, you can kind of get an understanding of what some of the morning group has been doing. And it really gives you an idea of, Hey, if I really wanted to go in this guy and I still do, What's the play here? Is it an over? Whatever it is, usually they do par. For instance, they're doing Tiger uh, on the first round uh, at par. Uh, is it 72 and a half or, or um, you know, under 72 and a half uh, is what they're doing there. So there's a little wiggle room uh, when it comes to his score uh, in round one. So those are some of my favorite props. Those haven't been released yet, um, but I haven't done any outrights uh, quite yet. But after this conversation tonight, I might fire on uh, one to three of the guys in those few of those groups just to get yep. some action on going in. So I know, hey, 
again, we touched on it one more time where we said about how the, the field is not cut in half. Uh, there's a lot of players going to be making it into the weekend. And if the weather really is playing a factor and it's a tight group, you know, from one through, let's just say 45, like that's going to be uh, anybody's, it's going to be a wild card at that point. So uh, yeah, so a, a good information uh, as always Ian and really, um, just your, your level of extra expertise helps me as somebody that's coming in and loves betting on the majors, especially the masters at Augusta really helps me kind of compile my card for a winning weekend. Oh, well, I, I do appreciate that, Derek, man. It's always, always awesome to have you on. And, um, yeah, I, I'm going to try and lean a little bit into the prop market here. I know I have the, the article coming on prize picks every single, uh, Wednesday, but I will have a prop card releasing tomorrow. Um, I'm just some, some stuff to, to look out for. If you don't, you know, I know people, um, have different gambling philosophies. You know, I know here at flag hunting, we like to kind of steer into the high variance outright market. We like to hit big or kind of, um, we're comfortable losing a few buy-ins, but it means we have the opportunity to, you know, to cash a 25 to one or, or whatnot. Right. But I know people have different, um, different philosophies where they maybe want some even money propositions and want to sweat that way. So I will have, um, my liens and bets for that coming up on the uh, Twitter page, uh, tomorrow. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Um, I will say to kind of Derek's point when it comes down to like to make the cut propositions and stuff, this is a really, I think, valuable um, tool to have. I know last year I actually made quite a bit of money in the uh, the top 40 parlay market where you can actually parlay golfers to make the top 40, um, particularly like even uh, some of the elite guys. If you pair three or four of them together, all of a sudden you're getting a proposition to even money. And keep in mind, you know, the Masters not only is an 88-89 man field, but you're thinking about the field list. If you scroll down to the very bottom of the outward odds board, right, you've got a lot of guys like BJ Singh, Larry Mize, Sandy Lyle, Mike Weir, right, and some amateurs in there, like a hand, half a dozen amateurs that probably are either if either not going to make the weekend or if they do, they're going to fall pretty far back. So the floor for these guys is very, very much elevated uh, this week. You might get, like, two or three big names miss the cut. But for the most part, like when you look at the top 40 on Sunday, you know, it, it's going to be a, there's not going to be a ton of surprises there. And obviously like with an 88 man field as well, like you only have to finish in the top 45% of the entire field. And then you have like probably 20 names that are just complete dead money. So you're really not asking a lot of the, out of these guys to finish T40. And I, I have found that, um, you know, grouping some of these guys together in that particular market is, is a profitable proposition even over like sometimes um, like I would, I would rather bet guys to in that market, like in a make to cut parlay or in a top 40 parlay versus to miss the cut, just because I, I think you're just asking for a guy to play so far below his baseline to not kind of make the weekend here. I think something pretty astounding has to happen for, for a guy to really disappoint in that capacity. So um, I know sometimes the make the miss the cut parlay or miss the cut, Wages are pretty fun, particularly in the majors, because anything can potentially happen. But I would save those bullets for like a PGA championship for a US Open, et cetera. Um, when there's again 165 names in the field, and all of a sudden you're asking a guy to finish inside the top 35, 40% of the field to make the weekend versus this week, where I think most guys by just keeping a pulse, they can they can kind of make their way through. So um, that's a few of the markets again that I've I've found um, throughout throughout my uh my master's betting career but uh but yeah like i said i'll have the full the full prop card if you guys are interested in that but uh otherwise i hope that you guys have fun in the outright market and hopefully um you know we can bring one home here for the year's first major 
Let's do it. And to kind of recap here, uh, what Ian's outright card looks like, uh, we've got Scotty Scheffler locked at 10 to 1, Patrick Cantley locked in at 22 to 1, and Xander Shoffley locked in at 25 to 1. Um, so that's where we stand from a flag hunting perspective. Uh, like Ian said, stay tuned for a prop card tomorrow, his Rotoballer article, prize picks, all that. Um, plenty more content to come. Um, but overall, Derek, it was a pleasure having you join us. As always, um, you will always be our major correspondent, no matter if you're able to, to join us or not. But we were glad that you were able to, to kind of join us for the most fun golf event of the year. Yeah, no, I appreciate it again, guys. I uh, really do look forward to the weekend. Um, really, uh, really excited to watch a little bit of golf uh, on Easter Sunday. So thanks again for having me. I always appreciate it and uh, really looking forward to uh profiting and and, and helping our uh, our bankroll this weekend so thanks again Let's yeah and we'll, we'll also be able to watch augusta right up to the start of the food city dirt race so which we'll be talking about shortly so but with that being said guys we will uh close out for the week and we will talk to you guys next week and hopefully holding a winning ticket see you guys